0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
1: This physician, he was very blunt and very direct, and it was probably the best thing that I could have said to me is, I'm going to remove your left arm if you don't quit.
0: I will say that the Boy Scouts changed my life. That was my introduction to something that that I could never, I, I was never able to shake.
1: So I'll ask you this, David. In that story, what's the first thing that
0: comes to mind? There's a lot wrong with this, but there's one thing that he did right and it saved his life. Can we talk about the rattlesnakes? The dude fought off three rattlesnakes. Holy crap. Hey guys, welcome to the Survival Show podcast number zero with Craig and me, David, where it's our job to take you guys step by step through the tactics, gear, skills, and mindset you need to survive almost any crisis, emergency, or disaster. And we want to show you how to use the lessons you learned today to thrive in your life tomorrow. Craig, how's it going, man?
1: Doing very, very well, sir. Had a fantastic workout this morning, so I'm feeling the burn in those shoulders. <laughs> and awesome. sitting here, uh, I'm really excited about getting this show off the ground. I mean, we've been talking about it for too long now. Before we talk too much, we don't want to forget, because you're forgetting, Producer Ben in the background. Ben, are you there? Hey.
0: Yeah, producer Ben. What's up, guys? Hey. Glad to be a part of the groundbreaking podcast zero.
1: Episode zero. Yeah. That's a good thing. So for everybody listening, this is what our intent is for you guys. We, we're we going to be interviewing experts in wilderness, combative, self-defense, and any number of first responder disciplines. So we want to be able to learn from their hard-worn victories as well as some of the defeats that they've experienced while we are doing everything we can to mine the life-changing nuggets from their story that you can apply to your own life. So for example, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be interviewing a lot of well known survivalists. Matt Graham and Creek Stewart are two that have already said they're going to be with us. And we'll be interviewing any number of people that are going to help all of us learn to be better on surviving everyday life.
0: Now, we've called this podcast Zero because instead of having a guest today, Craig and I are going to interview each other and let you guys in on the backstory to this podcast and our lives so you guys can see where we're going with all of this and hopefully glean some nuggets from our successes and failures that you can take home with you today.
1: I guess before we get too deep into it, David, can you tell us what is the best way that we can get the most out of this podcast? Yeah, sure,
0: man. So to get the most out of the podcast, I suggest that you guys subscribe to get the show notes, which are going to include tips, tactics, the skills, the action steps and any kit checklists or gear that we discuss on the show. So you can subscribe using the link in the description of this podcast and to gain access to exclusive content, great rewards and a way to get involved with the survival show, go to patreon.com. The Survival Show, where you can just use the link in the description. So Craig, what's on tap for today? Well, we have
1: for our first show a host of things that we're going to be doing. The first thing I thought we would do, if it's okay with you, is to go ahead and ask a few questions of one another so the folks listening can get an idea of who we are, what we're all about, and how we're going to proceed from here. Uh, secondarily, I have a, a really interesting story that I want to share with everybody from the news that we're going to break down and learn from. We're going to be talking about the good and not so good points from this story as well as we have a a mailbag segment that I hope grows to be a fantastic part of this show. That's where we're going to answer questions from the listeners so that we have and are doing and talking about what it is that everybody listening wants to hear about. The first set of questions we have today, I pulled from our Nature Reliance School community so that we'll have some questions that I know that they want answered and we'll get a good start from there.
0: Okay, so coming up next, I'll be interviewing our special guest, founder of Nature Reliance School and author of Extreme Wilderness Survival, Craig Cottle. So Craig, we met several years ago. You want to tell the guys, maybe from your perspective, how how we ended up meeting and, and how we ended up connecting?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so as director of Nature Reliance School, we host a, a number of classes. And on a regular basis, I, I reach out to people from the survival community and invite them to classes and offer them a, a class to come in so I can get to meet other people. Uh, I always learn from those opportunities. And obviously, uh, our intent is to help others learn that come to us. So for those listening, I, I contacted David and invited him to an advanced survival class that we are having here in Kentucky. He very humbly accepted that invite and so he came down and we spent oh that was a nasty weekend too wasn't it david that was a terrible weekend (laughs) it was a perfect weekend for an advanced survival class it was it It, was was cold cold. it was rainy we had an incredible crew of people that were there for the class but the weather was was very good i guess for a survival class
0: but you do those in december intentionally tell me why
1: for that very reason, there's been, uh, we want things to be a little bit uncomfortable. We want people to learn how to do survival in a situation where they're not comfortable, where building a fire and building a shelter is not something that's just part of a class. It's something that's actually needed for people to to stay alive. And so we usually do those somewhere around that December, January, February timeframe for that very purpose to make sure it's uncomfortable.
0: I really like your approach too. And, and one reason that I, I was very intrigued to come out and, and meet you in person, your motto and what you do is come let us learn together. And and that really, that really impressed me. That, that was a draw card for me to come out and, and really want to get to know you.
1: Yes, yeah, actually uh, Tracy Trimble, one of our other instructors was the gentleman who came up with that Saying and it, it really set the stage for how we do things as a as an overall mindset. So yeah, yeah, I like it. Come on, join in. Let's learn together. I like that.
0: So you have a YouTube channel. Uh, you've you've done a lot of writing. You train civilians. That that would be most of us. Law enforcement. You train some federal agents. You're an expert tracker. Now you've written two, and I I've got here two slash three books, and I th- I think you're a black belt in two martial arts. And you were born and raised, and you live currently in the rolling hills of Kentucky. Can you take us back, Craig, and maybe share with us all how you got from there, meaning Kentucky, being uh, born and raised there to where you're at now?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So somebody asked me not too long ago, uh, when did you start doing all these skills? My answer to that question is, when have I not been doing these skills? (laughs) <laughs> so, you know, I grew up in a rural part of Kentucky, which is a, a beautiful part of the world, not just a country, and I grew up in a family that liked to do camping instead of amusement parks. Uh, We spent a lot of time hunting and fishing. Uh, We did a a somewhat fair amount of what I refer to as period correct reenacting, you know, dressing up like in this part of the world, dressing up like Daniel Boone, shooting muzzle loading rifles, building knives, building rifles and stuff of that nature. And so I came by woods skills, like a woodsman's skills, just rather honestly. So, uh, you know, I did some competitions basically at the national level and tomahawk throwing and knife throwing and all that stuff as a kid, you know, all these outdoor skills, all these. What seemed to be more often referred to as bushcraft skills than anything else or just really just a way of life for us. I mean, there were, I lived in that glorious time of our country where my mom would say, all right, I want you to leave and I want you to come back at dark. And so me and my cousins who live close by, that's what we did. We spent a lot of time outside. That's a real beautiful thing. I got away from a lot of the outdoor stuff when I went to the University of Kentucky. I received a degree in statistical analysis there or earned my degree there as soon as I got done with school uh, I started getting back into outdoor topics and it's about that time that I got married and my wife wasn't much of a outdoorsy person so it was an interesting thing to be able to work with someone who had never spent much time outside because that was such a way of life for me and so there were so many things that uh, were new to her and so that really Made it more exciting and fun for me again. Some things that I thought were just common were, you know, just brand new to her. Also, during that time, I started training into martial arts. Uh, I now have advanced black belt degrees in actually three martial arts, not just two. In Aikido, Judo, and Eido. And uh, I've been doing Krav Maga and and Filipino stick fighting now. Judo and Aikido I've been doing for over 20 years. Stick fighting and Krav I've been doing for, I don't know, 12 or 13. That's, That's how I got into martial arts. I almost lost my left arm due to some... Martial arts training, not re- not a particular accident, but a repetitive stress on a part of my body, particularly my left arm, and so uh, I had to walk away from it because I was because I was going to lose my arm. I mean, a doctor told me if you keep doing that, you're, we're going to cut your arm off. So guess what? I left, <laughs> quit doing martial arts, and started. Uh, long before that, I'd started teaching some of my martial arts students in in doing outdoor skills just because they had interest in it and. Somewhere along this, all the same time frame, survival TV happened. Everything blew up in a good way, and that people really wanted a lot of instruction. So uh, I started doing that. I did end up writing my first book that came out three years ago Extreme Wilderness Survival, followed it up with Ultimate Wilderness Gear, and getting ready to come out with Essential Wilderness Navigation as well. That's the three or four minute version of. <laughs> of 49 years of stuff, I guess.
0: One thing that I really keyed in on is something that you said earlier on in, in that what we call survival now to our fathers and, and for you, grandfathers, probably it was just a way of life.
1: Yeah. Sleeping out on the ground. I mean, there were times where my parents would take me and one of my cousins and just push, I mean, literally push us out into an area that we were not familiar with and say, we're going to come pick you up tomorrow. I mean, we didn't really, I mean, we didn't have anything except maybe a tackle box and a fishing pole. So we would, you know, there were certain things in that tackle box that helped us make fire and stuff of that nature. So we just sleep out on the ground and catch some fish and eat and it wasn't survival. It was just, you know, I just thought it was what we were doing.
0: <laughs> I know you had an interesting time in your younger life where you went out in the woods for 30 days, basically with nothing. I did. I did, uh, I did two of those. And the first
1: one, well, I, I'll tell you what got me to that first. Cause that's important too. I got lost when I was hunting, uh, around the age of 13, I was deer hunting and I got lost for a day and A lot of things happened to me. I panicked and a lot of, you know, I ran through the woods like a wild banshee and in any number of things. And I realized at that point, 13, that there was a certain amount of skill set that I thought I had that I obviously did not have. And so what I wanted to do was improve upon that. And I started improving upon it somewhere around the age of 20. I decided to test myself. And so I went on a 30 day trip to the woods with literally clothes on my back knife and made my way. You know, it was one of those things back before cameras and before everything was really cool, like they do on, a, on the TV show alone. Uh, it was it was me and a knife and I did really well. Uh, I did exceptionally well. Uh, I ate well. I slept well. I had everything I needed, but it was in late spring where the weather was fine. There were plenty of edibles around. Not a problem at all. And so uh, I got confident. I uh, got overconfident is probably a better word. Uh, ego took over and I went out for another 30 days the following winter and nearly died. Uh, I didn't eat for about three weeks and nearly had a, a whole lot of serious problem with core body temp and staying warm. And so because it's a lot of work, it's a lot of work and you can't just sit around a fire all day long. So I realized then that I had a a still another epiphany, if you will, that that I was missing a certain skill set. So I started improving upon that. That's what got me to this point where I started studying in earnest from both other teachers as well as reading a lot. and, And and more than anything, just getting out and practicing other things. And so that that's put me where I am today. I recognize I have limits and, and I would consider myself more of a woodsman than anything else. And so that's what I've been trying to improve upon for uh, for a very long time now and, and will continue to. I don't feel like I've got it. I'm still continuing to
0: improve. That's for certain. The story of your, your arm and, and you were teaching, I believe you were teaching full time uh, in your dojo, right? I was. Uh, martial
1: arts training never came natural to me. I just worked hard at it. And so I was uh, what I would consider basically a moderately skilled martial artist. And that loved helping others. And so we made our way doing that for a number of years. But again, the physical limitations that that were presented to me made me have to choose to go, to go another route. That's for certain.
0: Yeah, so you were forced to make a life change. And I, I really want to key in on that. And maybe you can share some, some tips, some lessons learned, and uh, some things that maybe some people who are walking through that sort of thing in their life right now can take away. There were some incredibly valuable lessons I learned from that particular
1: experience in martial arts. There were others too. The thing that that came to mind was that there were so many things pointing at me and telling me I needed to be doing something else. And it's what I teach people now is called the critical rule of threes. If you see three things that stand out, that are anomalies to the normal day-to-day or whatever's happening to you, then you need to change. If they're different from the baseline, you've got to change what you're doing or you're going to pay the, some sort of penalty. And I did pay the penalty. I, I mean, I almost lost my arm over it. Fortunately for me, this physician, he was very blunt and very direct. And it was probably the best thing that I could have said to me is, I'm going to remove your left arm if you don't quit. And what was that? Was that neurological damage? In, in the martial arts of Aikido and Judo, you get thrown a lot and you fall on the mat a lot. That's just part of it. And one of the things that you do is you slap the mat. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Maybe we'll discuss that another day. But there's a lot of reasons that you hit the mat. And by hitting the mat, I had destroyed the two arteries in my lower left arm below the elbow, the radial and ulnar arteries. They were completely occluded. And it was basically from trauma, not from some sort of bad diet or anything of that nature. Fortunately for, this, for me, this doctor so direct in the way that he handled it, he was a fantastic physician and that it just resounded with me, and it and it woke me up. And when I woke up, I realized I looked around and realized all these things that I tell people to do, I wasn't doing myself. And so, yeah, I made the change to quit. It was pretty bitter about it, too. Uh, I had thought that I would do that until the day I died. And uh, fortunately, I had a few supporters that were students of mine that were just over-the-top supportive. I mean, I know it sounds weird but you know there were some indicators that there were just some people that I had cared a lot about that just did not care that I think was a was another way that that I give credit to to my creator in just slapping me upside the head so <laughs> to wake me up i've got a thing that i've been saying lately i picked up off a ufc fighter believe it or not cuz i'm not a huge ufc fan but this fighter said you know, we're either winning or we're learning. I like that, and that's kind of my approach mm-hmm. to a lot of things. I'm either I'm either doing okay and everything's fine, or there. You know, and another thing that comes to mind is there is no such thing as being a failure. You're just you're just learning and you're moving forward. Failing does not make me a failure. It just
0: I just learn from it and move forward. Yep. And the critical rule of is just just to emphasize that, we'll, over the course of our podcast, we'll be back to that topic because that yeah. comes up a lot. So basically wh- where that comes from is it's uh, – the
1: first time I read of it was in a – was a uh, infantry manual from the United States Marine Corps, and they called it the combat rule of three. And they teach these Marines that they can't just continue to allow mistakes to heap up on them. They've got to do something and take charge and, and make something happen. And so – uh, I just apply and change the name from combat to critical critical rule threes, and and that applies really well to a lot of things, uh, whether it's you know relationships or or uh, business dealings. You don't want to sit there and ignore the obvious. You want to if you see these three anomalies to the baseline, then then you make a change. What would you say to
0: folks? How do you navigate and get to a place of doing something else?
1: Uh, I think we need to. To make sure before we take the jump to run a survival school, for example, we need to look at our priorities and our priorities being you would leave a really solid job where you've got really good benefits and really good pay. So you can run a survival school that you think you're going to make money in. And I think that's not very smart to do that.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Mm
1: -hmm. You know, I had a student came to class one time and he said this to me. He's like, Craig, I would just absolutely love to do what you're doing, but I don't have the ability to do it. He said, I've thought about doing it myself. But realistically, I have a real he's a computer programmer. He's like, Craig, I, I just I work, I'm gonna work really hard at my job because I'm really good at that, so that I can afford to come to more classes. <laughs> and and that way he's he's getting the best of both worlds. And sometimes the best way to take care of our families is to set the priority as our family. And sometimes it's not necessarily in the job that we like, but but we do it well so we can take care of them. Sometimes the best thing that we can do is stay in that job that we're supposed to be in, work hard at it so that we can earn the money to do the things that we need to be doing and savor those all along the way and and live in the now. Instead of somewhere down the road, we're going to be wealthy or somewhere down the road, we're going to have all the gear that we actually need and, and whatever it is that we're seeking out there that's actually never going to come. We just need to be okay with with
0: living in the moment. What would you say to somebody who wants to intensely look at a change? They don't really know what the next step might be. Oh, this is simple. Okay, Here, here's how I do a lot of things
1: along those lines. Is that let's say that I want to start doing some podcasting, but I've done a little bit of podcasting and I didn't feel real good about what I've done in the past, which is kind of where I am right now. Now that we're doing this one, I wanted to do it right, and so what I did before doing that was I took a piece of paper out, I wrote pros and cons of doing it on one side of the paper, wrote pros and cons of not doing it on the other side of the paper, and uh, gave a value for each thing that I put down, usually a plus one if it's a good thing or a negative one if it's a bad thing, and then I just score it. And whichever one scores the highest, that's what I go with. It's just a a simplistic way to objectively look at a problem. For example, so you want to study survival. And you list out. Okay, do I just walk out in the woods by myself and figure out I'm gonna make a bow drill, <laughs> and 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 uh, without any training?
0: Well, you do that. You'll do that once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh,
1: we've got to find a way to, as best we can, take the emotion out of decision making like that. And so if you can make it an objective look at it rather than a subjective look at it, then you're going to be able to make the best decision for you. Because emotions change regularly. and They might change from minute to minute. The basis for Motley Crue, okay, he, yeah, I know, I knew you were (laughs) going to laugh as soon as I said this, but he had a daughter that wanted to get a tattoo, but she wasn't old enough to get one. So he had to sign off on it. Okay. So he told her. You can get that tattoo if you do one thing for me, and that is print the image that you want as a tattoo and put it above your bed. And I want you to look at it every day for a year. And if at the end of that year, you still love that image as much as you do right now, then I'll let you get a tattoo. And she didn't (laughs) because she didn't want to look at that image that much. Right. So how about that for a lesson from Motley Crue? Okay, (laughs) but with that said, that's that's a good lesson. I think that's, that's important. I mean, it was a good way of learning a lesson for her because her emotion said, I've got to have that tattoo right now. Oh, dad, I've got to have this tattoo. When realistically, what he did do was lay it out in an objective manner and remove the emotion from it. How about that? I threw in a Motley Crue reference on the first
0: (laughs) podcast. (laughs) I had no idea. I, thought, I didn't either. I thought you were a Merle Haggard guy, but <laughs> No, Merle
1: Haggard. I can't stand country music. I don't care. Anybody that's listening, I know I've got a twang in my voice and I'm from Kentucky, but I do not care for country music, just so you know from this point <laughs> forward, so we're clear. And I and I think if we were to take this back to a survival reference, you know, and because I, I don't I love talking about these things, but I, I want to make sure that we get back to the survival aspect of it too, which is uh, not just daily life, but let's say in a wilderness event, it, it's easy to let emotions take take over mm-hmm. into your decision-making. Mm-hmm. And you've got to come up with a system of thought processing and the way you consider your thoughts and in, in your your decision-making, whether that is survival that's in an active shooter situation, that's not a time where you get to sit back and let things uh, simmer for a day or two. You've got to make decisions now. So, or, or you're in a wilderness survival situation where you have dumped out of canoe and now everything's wet and now you've got to make decisions to, to, to survive. There's a time to consider those things, which is now. Consider those things now and how you're going to handle yourself so that under stress that comes under such circumstances, you can make
0: sound decisions and move forward. We are going to talk about that a lot, big time around podcast four or five.
1: Hey, I feel like... I feel like I've talked about myself too much. <laughs> can I ask can I ask you some questions about you, sir? Dude, I, I,
0: I learned a lot about you. That was awesome. Thank you.
1: So, because I, I spend so much time on the idea of proper education, uh, I like the idea of lineage and and where you've learned skills and what have you. So, my first question would be: Where have you learned the skills that you share with others, and uh, who did you learn from? How did you How did you obtain the skill set that you share with others?
0: So I'll go back a little bit. I I had a a different existence from you, and in, in especially in location. So I grew up outside the city of Pittsburgh, Ghost Steelers. I was a city boy. I I grew up. I I loved getting out in the the little patch of woods uh, next to the car wash, and so I had an interest in the outdoors. I was always outdoors. I was always on my bike, and I had an opportunity when I was young to get into the Boy Scouts. I will say that the boy scouts changed my life the best part was getting out in the wilderness together and doing the campouts and the, the jamborees and and all of that
1: right. all of that.
0: that was my first taste it didn't get me out of pittsburgh yeah. but that was that was my introduction to something that that i could never i, I was never able to shake but my dad was a scout leader who was he was a respected leader and and supervisor he was not an outdoorsman but he was there there you go. But my dad was willing, and he was a yeah. great leader, and uh yeah, good. Um, he he modeled that for me. You know, I, I saw that in him, and I wanted to I wanted to be like him in in many many ways. Fast forward from there, I went to Penn State. I opted for landscape architecture. I hmm. liked green things, and I I thought it was all pretty cool. A, a buddy of mine uh, talked me into going to Paris Island, and going to Marine Corps Basic Training. Yeah. So I ended up landing this. Quirky, weird, but like totally, totally within my desire to be adventurous. Job, a uh, wilderness school for emotionally disturbed boys on a two thousand acre property way south of Pittsburgh, almost on the West Virginia border. That hmm. I spent two years there. Wow. That was life changing. It was uh, twenty four hours a day. We lived in tents. How long did you all do that in the tents? We were out in tents basically from as early in the spring as we could to as late in the fall as we could. The wilderness school was amazing, and the best part was that I fell in love with my wife Karen there. Now fast forward, Karen and I then started our family, and we were blessed to live on the side of a mountain in Vermont, and now in north-central Pennsylvania, where we both developed a lot of outdoor skills, and Karen especially began a journey into using herbs for health and medicinal purposes, where I'm more interested in wild edible plants. It was a great time and we learned a lot from our rugged Vermont friends and spent every moment we could outside in the wilderness that surrounded the house that we lived in. So for over 25 years now, I've been able to live in wilderness areas where others go to vacation, hunt, and be in nature. And I just wanna tell you that if you have a chance to do it, it's a lifestyle that I highly recommend. Now, for my more formal training, I did spend some time in the Marine Corps, and over the last several years, I've purposed to do at least one or two challenging trainings a year, including with you and your school, Craig. And one of the most interesting trainings I've done was at a unique 40-day-long advanced intensive training school that included multi-day scout survival and knife-only tests at the end. We lived outside in primitive shelters, We got a lot of dirt time every day to practice our skills in an area that proved to have a pretty challenging climate. I was also able to participate in an incredible training experience in the Amazon jungle. And if you guys are interested, I've actually got a six-part documentary series on the trip posted on YouTube. And lastly, because of my work with Ultimate Survival Tips, I've been really blessed to learn from some pretty famous dudes who are masters of various outdoor and tactical disciplines. So to wrap this all up, I consider myself an educator with an eye on leaving a legacy and passing on what I've learned. So my goal has never been to simply accumulate knowledge and skill for myself, but to deconstruct what I've learned and put it all back together and pass it on to others in innovative and helpful ways. And I know for my part, that's what this podcast is all about. What do you say we get into our new story for, for this episode?
1: If there's something happening in the news, we want to take an opportunity to learn about it and and learn from it as best we can. So what I thought I'd do is I'd just read this story to you, and then David and I'll break it down. So I picked this up from KSAZ in Arizona, and it goes like this. Uh, a 62-year-old man was rescued from the depths of an Arizona mine shaft two days after he plunged into the pit and began an ordeal during which he nursed numerous injuries while simultaneously fending off a trio of rattlesnakes, officials said. John Waddell was lifted out of the 100-foot deep shaft on Wednesday after his friend, Terry Schrader, heard Waddell hollering near I Eye Road and Milepost 13, located about 35 miles south of Aquila, Arizona. He called me Monday and told me he was coming to the mine, Schrader said. We always had a deal. If he is not back by Tuesday, come look for him, because he said he would be back Tuesday. Schrader added, I didn't come on come down on Tuesday. I did Wednesday. I was afraid what I was going to find. Schrader said he drove to the shaft er, area and soon heard the sound of his friend screaming. As I pulled out of my truck, I could hear him hollering, help, help. Schrader said, I did get enough cell phone service that the deputies were on their way. When Waddell plummeted into the shaft on Monday, he broke both of his legs. Worse, as he lay helpless, he suddenly discovered several rattlesnakes, rattlesnakes were slithering around him. Waddell said he managed to kill three of the serpents during the trying two days underground, all the while hoping someone would eventually hear his cries for help. It took rescuers nearly six hours to pull Waddell out of the shaft to safety and then to airlift him to a hospital. Although Waddell was severely dehydrated and had broken his legs, his injuries were not life-threatening, the news reported. So, I'll ask you this, David. Hearing that story, what's the first thing that comes to mind?
0: There's a lot wrong with this, but there's one thing that he did right. And it saved his life. Do you want to talk about what he did wrong or what he did right?
1: Let's talk about what he did right.
0: Yeah, that big thing that he did right was he did tell somebody else where he was going. That literally saved his life.
1: Yeah, that's the first thing that came to my <laughs> mind. Absolutely. The the very first thing that came to my mind is that had he not told someone where he was going, uh, it sounded like they did this on a number of occasions, and they already had this agreement that they would check in on each other kind of thing. And that, without a doubt, you, know, you couldn't have said it any better. Uh, That literally saved this guy's life uh, without a doubt. Yeah,
0: he was severely, apparently he was severely dehydrated. Here's
1: one thing that came up in my mind about that, though, David. I mean, he he was severely dehydrated. He'd been down there for two days, okay? I can tell you right now, if I quit drinking water right now for two days, I wouldn't necessarily be severely dehydrated if I couldn't move around, Mm -hmm. which tells me, which is another thing that came to mind, is that he was not hydrated when he started That's right. out. So, I mean, right. it, one thing that I recommend from uh, in survival classes and in blogging and my books and everything is is that if you, number one, we all need to stay hydrated for our health every day. And how much hydration do we need? That depends upon your body size. But I just just to give everybody a number, somewhere between a half and a full gallon of water a day. If you're not going That's to right. the bathroom a lot, then you're not drinking enough water. That's, you know, I've asked a lot of sports physiologists that question, and that's basically the answer that keeps coming back over and over is, you need to be peeing a lot. And if you're not peeing a lot, you're not drinking enough water. That one came out to me, uh, just like kind of jumped out at me that he was severely dehydrated.
0: The other thing that he had an agreement with his his buddy on this was that neither one of them would ever go down into a vertical mine shaft without somebody else there. Oh, I missed that one. Wow. yeah, yeah. Part of part of the rest of the story was, it was wow. approximately one hundred feet down there, right? And uh, he was somewhere between a, a quarter and half the way down, and his carabiner broke, and that's what happened. Carabiner broke, and he fell into the into the shaft.
1: Wow. See, I missed that part of the story. Man, oh man. So we need to do a check on our equipment, right? <laughs> For sure. That's right. <laughs> there is a lot of recommended rules when it comes to climbing and repelling gear. You know, you keep a log of all your ropes, you keep a log of all your beaners, and those rules are there for stuff like this. <laughs> you know, one thing that, another thing that came to mind just on the story was just some sort of signaling device. I mean, what mm-hmm. if he had fallen and he broke his jaw and he couldn't yell? He's very, very fortunate this guy lived and didn't die down in the bottom of that shaft somewhere. somewhere. Um, you know, you could put a signal up at the top when you went down, you could do exactly what you said, which is never do it unless your buddy's with you kind of thing. I mean, that's... That's yeah, crazy. and just having a ba- having
0: a basic survival kit. I mean, e- even just something in your pocket, like you said, if you could start a fire, just having some water with them, having some some nutrition. Sure, just the basics. It's really it's really the basics.
1: Just because that we are safe does not mean that we can't do adrenaline fueled activities. You know, e- even special forces that go, you know, jump out of helicopters and go into places where people are trying to kill them they have a very strict way that they pre-plan and get things put together before they do that. And so that's just all I'm recommending is that if you recognize that there's, you know, a critical rule of threes and these things are happening, then that gives us an opportunity to come back another day and do it later uh, rather than possibly pushing through. And I'm not saying that we don't have to stand up and, and push through things at times, but if, if things are happening And it's obvious that we're pushing our limits, then we need to change what we're doing and we're going to, we're going to meet our limit. And that's, that's not a cool thing. All of my books, I have stories at the beginning of each chapter. And a lot of those are what, you know, are bad things that have happened to people. And one of the things I try to impress upon people there, and I'd like to impress upon people here as we continue moving forward with our podcast, is that we're looking at these stories and not trying to armchair quarterback somebody and say, oh, this guy's wrong this guy did this you know the facts of the matter are that things that happen to people all the time what we want to focus on is the situation not the personal decision making so the situation could easily happen to any number of people and and our goal is to make sure that that doesn't happen to to those of you listening or to me as i continue doing things that i'm going
0: to be doing can we talk about the rattlesnakes Dude fought off three rattlesnakes. Holy crap!
1: Yeah, here here's some things that I thought about the rattlesnakes because I didn't. David, did you read anything specifically about how he killed them? Because I, I couldn't find anything.
0: I couldn't find anything. Broken legs and he still killed them.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's that's uh, thanks Ben for bringing that up. You know, rattlesnakes are a pretty dangerous critter that's out there. We need to be aware of them, but they, they do have a effective range. And, and if we're outside that range, then we should be okay. But one of the things that he could have taken from those rattlesnakes is the blood. Uh, and it would have helped in hydrating him. That's for certain. Um, just from a pure, pure bare bones, looking at survival. it survival. Might, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you, he could have drank that blood and it would have helped him hydrate. That's for sure. Um, but how he went about, I would love to know how he went about killing those rattlesnakes without getting bit because everything I read said he did not get envenomated.
0: That's no, that's, that's, that's
1: pretty remarkable. Uh, especially not being able to be very mobile has been brought up. I mean, he's got broken legs and basically I'm assuming just sitting or laying there. Um, I don't know. I'd love to read. Maybe, maybe one of our listeners will dig into that and we'll hear about it later and find out what happened. But let's, let's pick up one of these questions you want to from the mailbag. Yeah, sure. Go for it. Since this question somewhat came up just now, let me let me ask this. I'll ask you and then I'll, I'll give some answers too. Uh, once you realize that you are lost in a wilderness area, what should you do to help others find you?
0: That's a really good question. And I've had a really good teacher on, on this particular topic, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe one day we'll have him on the show. <laughs> and uh, I'm joking Who's around that? because uh, uh, you actually, Craig, Craig oh. and uh, tra- tra- okay. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, I was Craig like, who is this guy? Tracy. I want to learn from him too. <laughs> <laughs> you you teach the rescue part of, of the course. But a big thing that, that I've known and, and uh, you reemphasized was, unless your life is an eminent danger and you're you're genuinely you are genuinely lost and there's no backtracking to some other known point the number one i thing i can say is stay in place right yeah absolutely
1: stay in place it's what uh for those of you who are listening and have kids one of the ways that we teach children and, and even brand new beginners to the outdoors is is a program that ab taylor who's was a fantastic tracker and search and rescue person uh came up with which is called hug a tree Uh, It's just an easy way to remember what it is you're supposed to do in a survival-related event, which is to stay in place. If if you stay in place, you're less likely to get more injured and more lost, and you're more likely for a search and rescue team to be able to find you. And so um, what David has suggested is the best way to set yourself up for success for people to find you. Um, The way you help them find you is you just appeal to their senses. You appeal to their ability to see, hear, or smell. So what I like to tell people and smell about, you know, build a fire. So there's smoke in the area. If you have that ability, set yourself up so that they can hear you bang some pots and pans. If that's what you have, blow a whistle is an even better choice. Yell. When you know that somebody's looking for you, if you're yelling, just for the sake of yelling, you'll run out of energy and burn a lot of water. If you go in the woods wearing camouflage, then have something, something in your pocket. I like to carry a bandana that's bright orange or fluorescent yellows that that can bring your position easier to see flashing lights any number of things fires there's you know i think at some point time today we need to have a whole whole podcast just on signaling don't we
0: that's a really good idea probably somewhere around podcast six to ten we're going to spend a whole podcast talking about rescue okay good good
1: So uh, for all of you that are listening, there's going to be a lot of stuff that comes through our podcast. We hope to build a community of people that are interested in great rewards for being part of the community. And we want to, to be about not just me and David and Ben, but to be about everybody that's listening and how we can all grow together. The best way to do that is to check us out on Patreon at The Survival Show. Again, The Survival Show. Check us out there, and that way you can find out how you can get in on all that exclusive content. Think there's a couple of things I would just love to share about what we're going to be doing there, but I think we'll keep those as a secret for
0: now, and we'll cover those more in episode one. And one thing you can do now, just start becoming part of the community and get the show notes. Is you can subscribe to the show notes. There's going to be a link in the description for this podcast, and you're going to get tips, tactics, skills we talked about a lot here. So Ben, you're going to have a lot of work to kind of pull the the main points out of this one. Action steps. Golf clap for Ben right now. Golf clap. <laughs>
1: everybody give Ben a clap because we, we just get to yap our jaws and he's got all the hard work to do. <laughs> hey, everybody. Thanks again for being with us here on the Survival Show. As you can tell, Episode Zero has been all about the backstory and how we got to where we are now. As you join us in the future, we're going to be talking about some educational opportunities, interviewing some fantastic guests. We're really excited about it. So we look forward to seeing you and hearing you there down the road. As always, be looking for the survival show on Patreon. That way you can connect with us. And when we get the mailbag going up, you can send us some questions and we'll get your questions on our podcast and take care of you there. So until the next time.